Thank you for coming out tonight as we continue our study on understanding the last days. And tonight we want to talk about the millennium. Uh, there are five end time events, as we've been discussing, that every believer needs to understand. Of course, those are the rapture, the tribulation, the antichrist, the second coming, and the millennium. I want to give you the order of events. I started to bring the board up here and write it all out, but let me just list them for you. You already probably have this, but I want to give you one more time the order of events in which I believe things will occur and help you see where the millennium fits into that. And so if you're taking notes, whether you're going across and making a timeline or if you're just listing them, I want to give you seven things, two, three, four, five, six, seven, yes, yeah, seven things that, that kind of describes the, the agenda, if you will, for the end days, the last days. Of, of course, if you're making a timeline or the first major event in God's history would, of course, be the first coming of Christ, Jesus coming to our world, dying on a cross, buried, resurrected, ascended back to the Father. That, of course, is the first advent so important to biblical history. And then the second step in that process would be what we call the church age. After Jesus went back to, to heaven, the Holy Spirit came and that instituted or started the church age. The church was birthed during that time and we're still living in the church age right now. I believe that the next event on the calendar, we're, we're I believe we're in the church age right now, and the very next event on God's calendar is the rapture. That would be this, the third item on the timeline or on your list, the rapture. Of course, nothing has to occur prior to the rapture occurring. There are no signs that would indicate this is the rapture, this is the day. There are those who try to give you a day and time, but uh, never, never, never listen to those who try to say the rapture is going to be this day, this time, etc., but the next great event in the church age, the next great event is the rapture when God's people will suddenly be taken from this world to be with the Father. <clears throat> then after that, of course, is seven years of tribulation. That's the next big event on the timeline, seven years of tribulation. At the end of the seven years of tribulation will be the second coming of Christ. Christ will come back again um, to, to this world. Then, this is where we want to talk about tonight, after the second coming of Christ, after Christ coming back to this world, then there will be the millennium reign of Christ here on earth. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, the millennium reign of Christ, or the thousand year reign of Christ here on earth. And then the last and final step of the timeline would be simply eternity, that after the thousand-year reign of Christ, God initiates, if you will, eternity. We'll see that in the Scripture tonight. So tonight we're going to look at that, that period of a thousand years. We're going to focus on the millennium. Uh, and then next Sunday night, the last study in this series, we will be talking about the second coming. So we're getting them a little bit out of order, but the reason for doing that. I knew that tonight we wouldn't have as much time, and I want to have plenty of time for the second coming to talk about the second coming. And also, next Sunday night, we're going to be, as part of our Thanksgiving week celebration, we're going to be participating together in the Lord's Supper here next Sunday night. And can I remind you this? Can I remind you what Jesus said when he initiated the Lord's Supper? He said, Do this until I come. 
So we're going to be reminded of that next week. Do this until I come, and then we'll be focusing on the second coming. So, tonight let's talk about the millennium. The book of Revelation, of course, is a book of prophecy, but it also is more than a book of prophecy that unfolds the future. The book of Revelation is also what some might call a book of endings. Tonight we're going to be looking primarily at Revelation chapter 20. If you want to take your Bibles and open to Revelation chapter 20. That's not the only text we will look at, but it will be our primary text. One of the reasons this chapter, Revelation 20, is so significant is because it is a chapter of endings. And specifically, it describes the end of Satan. That sounds pretty good to me. How about you? Revelation chapter 20, one of the things that we find in this chapter is the end of Satan. Also, in Revelation 20, of course, uh, we're going to examine this theme, this idea, this concept of the thousand-year reign of Christ, also called the millennial reign of Christ, or sometimes simply referred to as the millennium. I will say to you that it is one of the most theologically disputed themes in the Bible. The millennial reign of Christ is, is very disputed, and, and here's one of the reasons that it is so disputed. Revelation chapter 20 is the only place where we have clear teaching about the thousand-year reign of Christ, and it's only six verses. So we have six verses in Revelation 20 that talks about this thousand-year reign of Christ, which leads to a lot of speculation, which leads to a lot of questions. So this, if you will, lack of information has brought about a lot of questions and a lot of times no, no clear answers. So when we talk about the millennium, we're talking about a very disputed doctrine. So let me just begin by giving you a definition of the millennium. If you're taking notes, a definition of the millennium. And here's the definition. The millennium is the thousand-year earthly reign. You might want to make sure you underline that. The thousand-year earthly reign of Jesus spoken of in Revelation 21 through 6. The thousand-year earthly reign of Jesus is what we're talking about. In the strictest sense, this is what Jesus was referring to in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Do you, do you remember the prayer, Thy kingdom come? What does that mean? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? Thy kingdom come. In the strictest sense, what Jesus was referring to there was indeed, I believe, the thousand-year reign of Christ. The future consummation of the kingdom. Now, in many ways, you could say His kingdom comes, you know, when we pray and, and when we share the gospel and His kingdom is, part, you know, in worship and all of that. I understand that. But in the strictest sense, when Jesus said, Thy kingdom come, in the Lord's Prayer. He was talking specifically about the time when His kingdom would come to this earth. Also, let me show you another example of how there are hints of this millennium. Uh, in Luke, for example, chapter 19. Go, put your finger there in Revelation. Go over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. 
Very interesting verse in Luke 19. We won't have time to really talk very much about it, but, but look what it says. While they were listening to this, while the disciples were listening to, the Jesus, to Jesus in his discussion with Zacchaeus, the tax collector, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once or that the kingdom of God was going to appear at any minute. And so he tells this parable of the ten minas, if you will, because many of the people who were listening to Jesus expected the Messiah to appear in power and glory and set up his earthly kingdom and defeat all of their political enemies. That's what their anticipation was. He would come in, set up his kingdom, to defeat all of their political and military enemies. And Jesus tells this parable to show them that the kingdom of God is not going to come quite yet. First, he would go away for a while. And his followers would need to be faithful and productive during his absence. But upon his return, then he would inaugurate this powerful kingdom that they were expecting. Look at the text one more time. And we won't take the time to read the parable, but that really is the background behind this parable. Verse 11, while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Or the people thought that he was about to establish this earthly kingdom they had heard so much about. They thought it was now. And Jesus said, no, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable. Because the kingdom of God is not quite here yet. I'm going to go away. And in my absence, you be faithful, you be productive, and when I come back, I will establish and set up my kingdom. One other example of the hints that we get about this millennial kingdom is found in Matthew chapter 19. Would you go there with me? Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, beginning verse 25. Jesus is in a conversation with what we call the rich young man or the rich young ruler. He's in this conversation. And uh, in verse 23, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of, of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and ask, who then can be saved? Because in that day, if you were rich, they thought it was a sign of God's favor. That's the reason you were rich. God was showing favor on you. And so they began to calculate this, and say, wait a minute, wait, 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 time out. If a rich man can't be saved, who then can be saved? Look at the text. Verse 26, Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Verse 27, Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Now, verse 28 is where I want you to focus. What will there be for us? And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, notice that phrase. I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed Me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, that phrase, the renewal of all things, is referring to the millennium, when the earth will be made new, when everything 
will be made new. Jesus said there's coming a time when everything will be made new. This renewal of all things, everything will be made new. And I will sit on the, king, I will sit on the throne then. So there are hints to the millennium throughout the Word of God, especially in the Gospels. But the only place that we have clear instruction about the thousand-year reign of Christ or the millennium is in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. So I want to go back to Revelation 20 and uh, look at that briefly with you. First of all, as as you might suspect, uh, this thousand-year reign of Christ, since there are only six verses that refer to it, uh, there are several different views as to when all of this will occur. As I said, those, just because, because we only have six verses, it raises a lot of questions. And so one of the big issues is, when will this thousand-year reign occur? Over the years, there, there have arisen three major views of looking at this thousand-year reign. So if you're taking notes, let me give them to you in this order. First of all, let's talk about post-millennialism. It's a big word, post-millennialism. simply means the second coming of, of Jesus occurs after the millennium. This view says that Jesus will set up his kingdom, or that Jesus will return after this thousand years. The latter part of the church age will be an era of peace and abundance brought on through the evangelistic er- uh, efforts of the church. They believe, th- those who are post-millennialist, they believe that the church will continue to evangelize the world and eventually we're going to gain ground. Eventually we're going to gain a lot of traction. And because of the evangelistic efforts of the church, the, the world will eventually be Christianized. Remember when Jesus said, when the gospel has been proclaimed to the whole world? Those of this view would say, eventually the world will be Christianized and the return of Christ will occur at a long period of righteousness and peace commonly called the millennium. In other words, those who subscribe to this view say the the millennium really is this time during the church age when we really take the gospel to the world and that changes the world. There's this long period of peace because the gospel has taken root all over the world. That's really the thousand-year reign. That's the millennium. It's the reign of the gospel, if you will. And then the, the second view is called amillennialism. That's a with the word millennialism, amillennialism, they say that the second coming of Christ is at the end of the church age and that there really is no earthly millennium. A thousand-year reign of Christ in this viewpoint is not literal, it is symbolic. Symbolic of Jesus' work uh, from His resurrection to His second coming. So for those who are amillennialists, they say all of this is just symbolic language. It's just describing that time between the Lord's uh, resurrection and the second coming. And that is, in their viewpoint, that millennium, that uh, symbolic thousand years. Then we come to the third viewpoint, which is, of course, premillennialism. This is the one that I subscribe to, premillennialism, that says the second coming of Jesus will occur prior to the millennium, that Jesus is going to come back, and then there will be a thousand-year reign. And during that time, he will establish his kingdom on earth for a literal 1,000 years. That is, that Jesus will set up a kingdom and will rule that kingdom for 1,000 years. That he literally will be here on earth, and as he sits on the throne, reigning over the world, that will be the ultimate fulfillment 
of the covenants that he made with Abraham and with David. Do you remember what the promise was to David? That one would sit on your throne who will reign forever. Premillennialists would say that's the, the fulfillment of the covenant. When Jesus comes back and he sets up his thousand, he sets up his throne, and there's a thousand year reign, and then after that there is eternity that he's taking the throne, the throne of David forever. Now, those are the three different views of, of the millennium. I want to emphasize three things to you that I think are important for you to keep in, into perspective, and then we're going to dig into the text. First of all, let's just read the text, and then I want to emphasize three things to you. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he seized the, the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil, or Satan, and bound him for how long? He's bound. I want you to notice that. Satan, during this time, is bound for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony for Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of their, on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, and they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. So those who subscribe to the premillennialist view, which is the one that I subscribe to, would say this is a literal reign of Christ on earth for a thousand years. I want to emphasize three things before we go in, into the text a little further. Let me emphasize three things to you. Just, just again, to kind of underline, to highlight what I think are three important aspects of this. Number one, I want to emphasize the location of this rain. The location of this rain will be on the earth. Specifically, it will be in Jerusalem. That for 1,000 years... The Lord Jesus Himself will be on the earth, specifically reigning in or from Jerusalem. Those of you who have been to Jerusalem with us, you can imagine what that's like, right? You can picture it in your mind. What it's like for, for Him to be in that city, behind those walls, reigning from the city of Jerusalem across the whole world. Now, Micah and Isaiah talk about this very thing. For, sake, for time's sake, let's just go to Isaiah. It's a little bit easier to find than Micah, but they essentially say the same thing. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the location of this reign of Christ ruling in Jerusalem. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. 
This is what Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This is what he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. Now, if you've ever been there, if you've ever read anything about Jerusalem, Jerusalem is located on top of a mountain. It's called the mountain of the Lord. And here's what it says. The mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. All the nations, people from all over the world will be coming to Jerusalem during this thousand years. Verse 3, many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways so that we may walk in His paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. And watch this. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. It's going to be a beautiful time. A time of peace like this world has never known. And the one sitting on the throne will be sitting there in Jerusalem, reigning over the world. The second thing I want to emphasize to you is this. The government will be led by the personal presence of Jesus reigning as king. I've said that before, I know, but I just want to underline that to you. That the government, at that time, during those thousand years, the government will be led by King Jesus. Third thing I want to emphasize is this. During this time, Satan will be bound for a thousand years. We've already read about it a little bit. During this time, Satan will be bound... And this will keep Satan from deceiving anyone during that whole millennium. This will keep Satan from doing his evil during that whole millennium. That's why, listen, that's why it says that this will be a time of peace and that the weapons will be beat into plowshares and that there won't be need for anything. There will be no war. There will be no, no struggle because the one who is behind all of that is bound for a thousand years. It will be the most peaceful, godly environment this world has seen since the Garden of Eden. A Satan is bound for a thousand years. And as Jesus reigns on the throne. By the way, doesn't that make sense? Do you think Jesus would reign on the throne and let Satan keep doing his stuff? No. When he actually takes the throne, he's over everything in the universe. When he sits on that throne, he will bind Satan and he will be absolutely in charge of everything. Now, we're just about out of time, so I just need to read to you a few things from this text. Uh, as we work our way through it real quickly. Um, let, let, let's start in verse 7. We've already read the first six verses, so let's go to verse 7. When the thousand years are over, a literal thousand years, when the thousand years are over, verse 7, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, 
to gather them to battle. In number, they are like the sand of the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Here's what I want you to see. When the thousand years are over, and this is one of those questions like, why, why would he let Satan go off and, and, and kind of tempt people one more time? There's a lot of theological debate about that, but basically, during that thousand years of peace, uh, people have come to faith in Christ during that time, and it's a time of, 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 of great move, the movement of God. And one final time, those people will have to profess their faith in Christ, and unfortunately, some will be misled by Satan as he goes back out to cause havoc one more time. But the thing I really want you to understand is this. The doom of Satan will be finally realized. As it talks about in verses 9 and, and 10. Here, here's what I want you to hear me say. Satan is powerful, but he is not eternal. You hear that? Satan is powerful, but he is not eternal. He will meet his doom. Look at the text. Verses 9 and 10. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. In other words, Satan mobilized the armies of the world one more time. They lost at the battle of Armageddon. This is a separate battle. And he mobilizes or he will mobilize the armies of the world one more time to go attack King Jesus and his army. And the Bible says there's not even going to be a battle that fire will come down and consume them as they try to surround Jerusalem. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And then verse 10. Uh, this, verse 10 just gets me excited. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And the reason I say I get excited about that verse is because one day, one day, God will forever abolish sin and Satan. And this world will become a new heaven and a new earth. And that's what Revelation 21 is all about. That God's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. That's what Revelation 21 is all about. See, Satan will be released from, from the abyss for a while, but he will never be released from the lake of fire. Well, I'm out of time, so let me just, let me just say this. I'll, I'll close with this. There are a lot of different views about the millennium. There's a lot of questions about the millennium, but there are three things we can all agree on, and there are three things we can all say with certainty. And here they are. Number one, Jesus will return. Number two, he will defeat Satan. And number three, he will reign forever. You see, once the thousand years is over and Satan goes and tries to gather the armies of the world and they come back to Jerusalem and they're devoured by fire and then Satan is, is thrown into the lake of fire. By the way, it says he will be tormented there. 
It's not like he's ruling over the lake of fire. The Bible says he will be tormented, tormented there forever and ever. He will be confined there forever and ever. And once that occurs, that's when eternity starts. God erases every trace of sin, every trace of Satan. He erases all of that, and that is when eternity starts. The next week, I hope you'll be here as we observe the Lord's Supper and as we talk about the second coming of Christ, as we try to better understand the last days. God bless. Thanks for being here.